Thank you for stopping by the Bluegrass Podcast. Today we're talking with Nancy Roberts of One Love Hemp Dispensary in Louisville, Kentucky. She was also a founder of New Earth Organics, and we're very excited to have her on. Today's musical feature is Kinetic Energy by Zach Pack. If you'd ever like to find out more about our musical guests, visit our website, bluegrasscannabis.com, go over to Podcast and Musical Guests, and you can see a list of all of our previous musical guests to listen to more of their great tunes. Stay on the lookout for new merchandise dropping over the next few weeks as well, and make sure to say hi at WeedFest 2023 in Covington, Kentucky on July 15th. We'll be a vendor. Details on our social media. We had just gotten started and we were kind of talking about your personal relationship and, you know, starting a little bit younger, but you mentioned a Frank Zappa album. Yes, my sister got this Frank Zappa album. She was older than me, and I was fascinated with Frank Zappa and just the entire counterculture that was going on at that time, which was the late 60s. And so that led me, by the time I was 12, to want to seek out some cannabis consumption because that was the representation of the counterculture, right? And um, my best friend and I came up with a plan to go to a Toys for Tots concert, which those of us who grew up back in the, you know, late 60s and in the 70s in Louisville, there was always a concert. I don't know if it continued, but there was always like a local band rock concert at the fairgrounds. Your entrance was a toy and, you know, all of the toys were given to you know, kids in need. So, of course, we could go to the Toys for Tots concerts because our parents thought it was all for a good cause. But we knew if we got to a concert, we could try some weed. So we went to Toys for Tots and we scoped out whoever was smoking back then because back then everybody smoked at concerts indoors and sat next to a few older kids and got the joint passed to us and got to experience, you know, our first um, consumption. So I have fond memories of that. And after that, you know, in those days, people would sell the dime bags behind the band room at school. And I wasn't a, I wouldn't say I was in the unhealthy zone, but I enjoyed, you know, consuming cannabis, and it was definitely a very social thing for me and my friends. And we had a lot of good times, you know, Mm -hmm. smoking weed and um, exploring cannabis, having really some good, wholesome fun. And then by the time I was 15 or 16, I was totally consumed with edibles And when my parents would go to Nolan Lake on the weekends, I would start making my cannabis butter in their garage (laughs) and making brownies. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I have a very long and enjoyable history with cannabis. And that transition, not just, you know, getting a dime bag and trying it out, but that actually transitioned to you into growing a little bit too, right? 
Well, it did. And I also, even though I began as a totally young recreational consumer and somebody just wanting to get out there and vibe and have a good time, it quickly <clears throat> turned into medical interest as well. Because when I was a young teenager, my mother had cancer she eventually passed away from that when I was 26. And so I was very consumed with the possibilities that I was hearing about even then of cannabis being medicine. And I would also like to say that I really feel like a lot of my consumption was actually medicating myself as well. Because I consider myself to be neurodiverse and my, I have neurodiverse relatives and kids who are as well. And I recognize that in myself. And I think that I was seeking to feel better and it did make me feel better, you know. So even though I was using it recreationally, I mean, even today, all recreational use is actually medical use as well. So, oh, yeah. It, well, it, and that's why people talk about like adult use, right? Right. It's not recreational, it's just using it. Exactly. I mean, I, that's another discussion. I don't think, you know, I don't think that we can actually compartmentalize recreational away from medical because it is good medicine to have fun and to laugh and to feel good. And so there's a lot of science around the endocannabinoid system and, of course, using cannabis therapeutically. But even for those of us, who use cannabis strictly as like a way to relax, a replacement to alcohol, what would typically be considered recreational or adult responsible use, it's still good medicine. Absolutely. So, and like I always like to start it, it begins with is it really anybody else's business? Then, if we want to explain why I use, we can go into the other. Right. And it's just a discussion, I think. I know we started here talking about my consumption as a young, you know, young teenager. But I mean, really bringing us back into what is medicine and what really makes a difference for people and how do we manage our health using cannabis and that is our own business. And that includes, do I, you know, consume herbal remedies of all types? Do I consume plant medicine of all types? I consider that to be a very personal, private right that we should all have access to. Absolutely. And I'm, if this is too private, let me know. But did your mom consume cannabis while she was in the later stages of cancer, or was that something that didn't quite make it there? No, 
And I mean, I feel like that's what's really driven me in my lifetime to be an advocate, you know, particularly in, you know, younger years, because she would not consume cannabis because it was illegal. I mean, just bottom line. And I saw her suffer so much. And all of the ways she was suffering could have been improved with cannabis consumption. And I, I was one of those nerds. You know, I was a nerdy kid. I was always at the library. This was pre-internet. So there, I was not on the internet. I was getting to the library reading up on all this. And it just was so traumatic for me seeing my mom suffer feeling like there was an answer for her that she refused to, you know, take because it was illegal and there was such a stigma attached to it. So that was a real driving force for me as I went into adulthood as a cannabis advocate. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you ended up going towards New Earth Organics and kind of... So I went from that moment to really believing, but I'd like to mention, I looked at cannabis at that time as symptom relief. I didn't really look at it as true medicine. And I would like to make that point because I do believe that, you know, it is true medicine and I didn't even understand the potential for it at that time. Well, and I think even calling it symptom management is a great way to frame it. And, you know, at different dispensaries, that was what we would say because we can't make claims and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But, and it's not been approved for certain conditions, but it really is a great way to frame it, especially I found like for elderly people who may not have engaged with cannabis for things like topicals and arthritis. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And My point, though, that since I'm on a podcast and have a little bit of freedom versus in a business setting, is at this point, I do consider cannabis medicine and, Mm -hmm. you, you know, not just for symptom management, but, you know, for true, truly curing certain conditions when used properly. And the benefit beforehand preemptively, not just as a last ditch resort, but kind of Mm -hmm. like you're talking about in adult use, the benefits before you get sick or before you have the problem. Right. It's a prevention. And, um, and then I went from there into, um, growing and then I went from growing to new earth. So that's kind of like linearly how it all went. Just because a lot of people, you know, way, way back in the day did some outdoor growing. Did you start indoor? Did you start outdoor? What was that first grow experience like for you? That first grow experience was so amazing because it was sort of like the feeling that it couldn't be done. This was in the early 80s. And, um, My fiance and I were reading High Times, which, you know, we got monthly, of course, at the bookstore. 
And we saw some information and an article on growing cannabis indoors under grow lights. And I mean, immediately, we were just going to do it. We saw that. And I remember John said to me, hey, did you see you can grow cannabis, you know, you can grow weed indoors under lights. And I was just like, let's do it. So we fashioned some lights together from a lighting company because there weren't like grow lights to be purchased at that time. And we went down to Button Seed Company and grabbed us some ProMix and some miracle Grow fertilizer and ordered our seeds from Amsterdam, from Neville, you know, the seed bank, which is the way everyone got their seeds back in the day. And he advertised in high times. And we got Skunk One and Northern Lights. And those seeds came, baby. We were so excited. And we got started. And we started growing in our apartment. It was just, it felt so fresh. And was it like a little closet grow or a whole room or what was it like? No, it it was a room. It was a bedroom. (laughs) And it was, you know, we filled it up. We sprouted our seeds and we filled it up and we got going. And it was just that excitement of being there at the beginning where nobody was doing it and no one thought we could do it. And people thought we were totally idiots. The few people we told about it thought we would fail. And we were determined and we got it set up and we grew and we grew successfully. And then we took clones and we figured out how to clone. And we were just, you know, going and getting the cloning powder you could get at the garden center There was no Mm -hmm. Clonex at that time, and we figured it out, and it was fun, and we had a blast. It was just like it felt so cutting edge, and it was amazing that we could grow cannabis indoors at that time. So those are a lot of good memories, too. Oh, yeah. Pod is an addictive, but growing pod is, right? Oh my gosh, you know, getting the seeds and getting into the genetics. I mean, I love the genetics and I love all the different strains. And that for me today translates into, you know, terpenes. But we did, we did that for, you know, trying to think how many years. A few years. I mean, we grew really, we grew a lot. We ended up finding at that time, there was one grow shop up in Bloomington, Indiana called Worms Way. So a lot of, if any old timers are listening to this, you know, I'm sure you've been to Worms Way. They ran it out of their garage And we started going up there and getting grow lights. And that's where we discovered the first few, you know, like cannabis centric fertilizers and stuff coming out of California. And that was just amazing. I mean, people were up there with the um, seed catalogs and 
people were vibing and it was just an exciting time to be getting into it over here, you know, in the East because it was just new and exciting. A lot of talk about genetics even then and what was growing well indoors And we had a ball going up there and just hanging out with people and meeting, you know, the people that ran the shop. And then we ended up feeling like we needed to quit growing because, you know, things felt hot. And by the time we quit growing, I mean, we were killing it. And we would, we would have so much going, right? And a friend of ours was an administrative assistant at the local DEA offices, and she knew we were being investigated or someone was being investigated for the indoor grows, and we felt certain it was us, so we decided to shut down And we still needed to make a living and we still wanted to be involved with cannabis. And that's when we decided to open New Earth, which we opened in 88. And was that transition hard at all going from, you know, you're doing your room grow in the house to you have to have a licensed store where you pay taxes and you kind of have to be out in front of it? You know, that's a good question, but it really wasn't hard at all because while we grew and had all this going, I actually went to school and became a paralegal. And I even worked as a paralegal during this time because I felt strongly that I didn't want to just be like on the outskirts of society you know, and growing as we did it at that time, I was like a fanatic about staying safe and maintaining, you know, security. And so we never had people to our house. Our house was totally consumed with the grows all the time. You know, you couldn't invite people over for a cookout if you were secure And, you know, it was a lot different then than it is now. I mean, if you got caught growing cannabis in your home today, you might have to spend a lot of money to get out of trouble, but you're probably not going to go to jail. Most of us are not going to go to jail if we don't have a record. And back then, I mean, we would have gone to jail. And I didn't want that to happen. So we were fanatical, never had any people over, not even family members, you know, very limited social circle. And there were, you know, always kind of on alert, wanting to make sure that you weren't, you know, going to get busted. So I was ready to leave that behind and I was well prepared to, you know, take care of the business because I was a paralegal. And my husband at that time, he was really a little bit more of an outlier, but he was very able to just, you know, enter right in and kind of go from honestly growing and selling cannabis 
to selling grow supplies and teaching others how to sell, you know, grow cannabis. So was we made there, a good and team. Was it gr- yeah. And was it gradual or was there a specific thing where it was like, all right, this was the line? Oh, we had a near miss. And, you know, we had a minute where some things came together and we thought we were going to get busted. And it turned out it didn't happen. And once that occurred, we were done. We finished things up and we shut down and, you know, came up with our next plan. And if you feel inclined to talk about it, what was it that happened? Was it that phone call you were talking about or was it an event or? Oh, it was absolutely nothing. It was a guy at that time. We were selling most of what we grew to a bunch of musicians down in Nashville. And we had a couple studio musician friends and they were coming up and getting everything. You know, one guy was coming up and he was, you know, moving things back and forth. Anyway, everybody knew we were hot and that there had been something going on, you know, from an investigation of indoor growing and everybody knew that we were probably hot and we were just trying to get through that last grow to finish up anyway. But back then, I mean, the phone systems were different too, right? We didn't have cell phones and nobody Mm -hmm. wanted to use the phone. Everybody thought it was going to be tapped. So we had one of our friends show up in a suit in a, I think it was like a Lincoln Town car or something that all the undercover cops used to, you know, drive around. And he came up unannounced because he was afraid to call us. So, <laughs> so we were in our house trimming our weed, and there's some dude in a suit coming in, you know, up in our driveway, and we were like kind of over the top amped up anyway, with knowing that we were probably under investigation, and we thought it was an undercover cop, and we didn't want to answer the uh, door, and they were out there pounding on the door, and I mean, we walked down those stairs, and we thought, this is it. This is like a warrant or something. And it was just the icing on the cake, you know, just that sense like this is it. We are going down at this minute. And then we opened the door and it was our friend. (laughs) Talk about dopamine rush. And you're like, what the heck? But that moment stuck with us. And we were like, it's just time. You know, this is our moment. Let's shut down. And we finished the crop out and we did manage to finish the crop out. And then that wrapped it up.
me a letter to whoever's in charge. It's time we all come together and align with the stars. Remember what we've learned and quit drifting apart. Rebuild the bridges we burn, get a fresh new start. Strike a smile at a stranger, compliment someone. Anything you should be doing, do it until it's done. And beware of the dangers of negativity. It comes around full circle, kinetic energy. To the science, it's where we get our facts. You can try to deny it, or cover up those tracks. If your head's in the cosmos, you keep a narrow mind. Oh, my God, even God knows the key is being kind. Strike a smile at a stranger, compliment someone. Anything you should be doing, do it until it's done And beware of the dangers of negativity It comes around full circle, kinetic energy Strike a smile at a stranger, compliment someone Anything you should be doing do it until it's done and beware of the dangers of negativity. It comes around full circle, kinetic energy. And so what was it like in the early days of running a hydroponics store then? You take, you transition into opening up this store. Was it just <laughs> selling to other people you knew who grew weed? Was it trying to sell to people who grew vegetables? What was it like when hydroponics and like indoor really wasn't as big of a thing too? Oh my gosh, we were the first hydro store in the Southeast. It is really... For me, when I look back at, you know, my career in cannabis, if you want to call it that, or my relationship with the plant, it's really cool to look back because, you know, I was like there at the beginning of all of it. I was there at the beginning learning about medical back early on at the library I was there at the beginning of actually growing indoors and fortunate enough to have had that experience. And then we were the first hydro store in the Southeast, and we were one of like 92 in the nation when we opened in 88. And so that has been so amazing 
the energy and the excitement of being in those places at the beginning, like as a pioneer, there's nothing to really describe how different it feels when you're there at the very start. Now, you know, a lot of people are here at the very start of legalization, and I know a lot of people are getting a taste of that. And honestly, I was just down at the Canadelic conference in Miami in February, where, you know, it was all about um, psychedelics and their use in both recreational and medical purposes. And, you know, that combining with cannabis and I could st- I could feel that super new excitement down there too, and it was just exhilarating to be there to feel that. But circling back to hydro, you know, we got this dump of a place in on Highway 44 out towards Shepherdsville because it was cl- um, cheap. And because we felt like it was discreet, you know, and we Mm -hmm. thought it was a little bit shady, but we knew it was legal and we popped it open with hardly any money. And there were very few products to be had back there then anyway. I mean, we had halide and sodium lights with the big parabolic hoods. And mm-hmm. we had, you know, Bud Swell and Super Tea and Super Thrive. <laughs> and, um, you know, just Promix, worm castings. I mean, there was no Fox Farm. There was no Clonex yet. There were no environmental controllers yet. It mm-hmm. was just the basics. We had the SGS, that early um, superior grower supply, like hydro. Can't remember the name of it, but we carried that. And then we carried the hydrofarm quantum with the slabs, the Rockwell slabs. And we carried the baby bloomer that came out in the early years, too, with from American Hydro. But it was. I don't know. People thought we were crazy as hell. The people that came in that were unfamiliar with cannabis, you know, we had the outlier interest, the like real kind of off the bell curve gardeners that are just totally into it. Everybody that loves to garden and loves to grow plants, I think, likes anything like that. But, you know, 95% of the people that came in, if they weren't into cannabis, they weren't interested in what we had. And we were kind of relying on word of mouth. And so we spent maybe three months, you know, not seeing any customers. (laughs) And then we advertised in high times. And that fixed that problem. (laughs) And you all kind of got up, you mentioned in high times with your business, kind of with Operation Green Merchant and all of the things that happened with like high times and, you know, tracing records, right? Well, speaking of Operation Green Merchant, yes. That was rough. Um, first of all, 
High Times was an amazing advertising venue. And we got so many great customers from that publication. And we also um, advertised in like a Salt River Electric publication that went out to their customers, to the rural areas. And boy, that was that was an amazing advertising venue, by the way, and got so much, so many of the rural growers that didn't, you know, would never have known we were there. But um, yeah, in 89, there was a nationwide sting called Operation Green Merchant. And it was a it was organized on behalf. Um, it was organized really as a way to push the Just Say No campaign. Um, Nancy Reagan had taken that on, and that was, you know, all constructed to try to improve her popularity, really, and have something for people to rally behind. And that well, and was support for the war on drugs, right? And the whole change oh, to three strikes and oh yeah. I mean it was all and so they orchestrated this um nationwide sting. And at that time that wasn't so difficult to do because there were so few of us. And they really ruined a lot of people's lives um, going in SWAT style into people's home with their children there. Um, The people that sold us beneficial insects had that happen, which is insane. But that was difficult. We went to work one day and had a DEA agent come in and try to entrap us. And this was in the very earliest days still, right? And um, we weren't used to having people try to entrap us. Of course, that went on for many years after Operation Green Merchant, but that was our first experience. And um They had a seat bank catalog on a clipboard and they kept kind of flashing it to us, but they kept saying that they were growing tomatoes. And Mm -hmm. we weren't really sure where the line was. We knew there was a line, but we weren't quite sure where it landed with something like that. And, um, After a little bit of debate, we decided we were going to sell the guy his light because he never said the word marijuana and took him up to the, you know, front counter and got ready to sell him. It was a 250 watt light, which was nothing on top of it. And the guy didn't have any cash. Well, we were cash only because, you know, it was 89. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we were cash only. And he wanted to um, write us a check because, of course, he wanted to leave a paper trail, right? And we wouldn't take his check. He got obstinate with us. Well, once he got obstinate with us, we really weren't going to take his check. And we told him to go down to Shepherdsville to go to the ATM. And while he went to Shepherdsville to get his cash, we got the phone call from some other people in the industry, shut the hell down, 
you know, you're in the midst of a sting and, Mm -hmm. you know, lock your doors. Well, we then understood we had been set up. And so as soon as we got that call and realized what was going on, here comes the DEA agent back with his cash. (laughs) And we just looked at him and we said, you know, after you left, we started talking about this and we think you're trying to grow marijuana. (laughs) That's illegal. We can't serve you. And like we kicked his ass out, literally ran out, ran him out the front door telling him to never come back. So Hilarious. Oh my gosh. It was such a rush because you can imagine we get the call. Your life is passing in front of your eyes. There's a nationwide sting and you're in the midst of it. Then the guy walks in immediately. Our adrenaline was pumping so hard. And I mean, I chased that guy out and was screaming at him. <laughs> And then when they left, it was just like collapsing, like what the hell? We shut our doors and we didn't go back for a few days and had to get an attorney. But that was actually, although it's funny today, it was really traumatic. It hurt a lot of people and it set off years of challenges and you know years of the DEA and local law enforcement trying to entrap us and it practically shut us down because nobody would shop with us and you know it was it was definitely a difficult thing to go through. And it's cool to look back and realize, hey, not only did we survive it, but we kind of, you know, kicked their ass on that one. And that's a good memory. But that was a difficult time. And if it really hadn't been for the guys with the Cornbread Mafia, we probably would not have made it. Because when that all happened, we took our ads out of high times. And so we were back to really between no ads and high times. And also there had been something on the local news. There had been something on 60 Minutes, not about us specifically on 60 Minutes, but about the industry People were terrified to shop at hydro stores for a while, and rightly so, because most of us were being watched and everyone knew it. But, um, you know, the cornbread mafia, man, they kept on shopping (laughs) and they didn't come often. And we didn't know who it was at that time. We thought we know who it was, but, you know, there was no discussion going on. But, you know, they kept coming in and they would load up on supplies, often bringing a horse trailer. So I credit the Cornbread Mafia with basically saving my career in cannabis 
I think if we had gone under at that time, I would have just gone back to being a paralegal. And, you know, they kept us up and running and alive when everybody else was afraid to come. Oh, yeah. And uh, thank you, I'll say, first off, for everything you've done, because definitely I wouldn't be able to be doing things in the way that I do them if you all hadn't gone in first and also built the reputation for Kentucky. But be remiss not to mention the Johnny Boons and the Jimmy and Joe Keith Bickets and all of them. and. I don't know if you got the chance to talk to Robbie at all. Did you want to talk about your all's collaboration at all? Well, sure. I would love to. Um, Robbie Bickett is one of the younger Bickett brothers, and he currently manages Bickett and Boone CBD and the grow on the Bickett, you know, on the Bickett farm for Bickett and Boone and all of the cornbread mafia guys. So Johnny and, you know, he actually is quite a bit older. I know he's in his eighties and he did, he ended up doing jail time. He got COVID in jail. That was kind of hard on him. So he's enjoying the fruits of his labors. And I know he's involved at, you know, And more of an idea and creative level with Bickett and Boone and input. But Bickett and Boone honors him. And then, you know, Jimmy and Joe Keith and the people that have gone in and really done their time. And so those guys, um, although active, are, and Jimmy is growing, but... Joe Keith and Johnny are less active in the business itself. Robbie manages the business and he's doing a beautiful job with it and over, you know, overseeing um, the collaboration of the grow with Jimmy and, you know, the actual finished products. And we are a proud Bickett and Boone distributor at One Love. We love our collaboration with them. It really means a lot to us because we do have that history together, you know. And they have, of course, you know, the highest quality hemp in producing their CBD products from, you know, what they grow themselves. And um, that's been a great collaboration. And we are hoping as, you know, we move into the legal market that we're going to be able to continue that collaboration um, together and strengthen that by collaborating in the legal market. So I love the Bickets and very grateful to them and excited to be able to continue forward like that. The only other um, collaborative space we have is edibles. And I don't know if you know, I, we have an edibles business. We Would you own like to Gummy talk about Girl. that a bit? Oh, yes. sure. Yeah. So do you want me to just talk about Gummy Girl? Please, if you would. Sure. Gummy Girl is an amazing part of what we're doing at One Love. It's my favorite part of, um, it's my favorite part of my day-to-day operations is managing Gummy Girl. 
And that is our own brand of gummies, edibles, and vape. So the way we got started with Gummy Girl is I had someone ask if I would consult them on their gummy brand. And they wanted to launch a gummy brand, but they didn't know very much about cannabis or gummies. And when I started considering doing that, I just kind of got back to my roots. I mean, I started making edibles back when I was 15 and really have loved it. And I have been kind of fascinated, honestly, with all candy and baked goods my entire life. I just have been drawn to it. So when I started thinking about consulting on edibles for another company, I just flipped, you know, switched gears really and decided I wanted to do it for myself. And I went out to um, California because I thought that maybe there was some opportunity out there and there were a few little opportunities out there that I maybe could have gotten into. And I got out there in 2020 to look into it and um, just decided it wasn't for me and I didn't want to go to California. I felt like California was already sort of going into this whole cannabis downswing and dip. And I thought I was too late, which I was. Well, the market you know. is so flooded. Oh, I know. Like, you know, 2020, by, by 2020, if you weren't already doing it, it was too late. Oh, and, yeah. th- and they have their own set of problems. Oh, right. And, and literally, by the time I finished that trip, I was so happy to come back to Kentucky. And it made me really appreciate the opportunities here and how good we have it here in so many ways. So that was not a wasted trip. But yeah, after exploring that and coming back, I just decided to, you know, I talked to my um, one love partner, Jana, and just said, I think we can do it. And she was in full agreement And we basically found a manufacturer that was willing to work with us and let us formulate. So we could formulate our own gummies and then have them manufacture them in a compliant facility for us. And that's what we did. And um, we called it Gummy Girl, which I love because I feel like it's wholesome and it's non-threatening and it's a welcoming, you know, name. And that kind of hits a lot of people across the board. I feel like it makes our gummies very accessible. So mm-hmm. and it rolls off the tongue too, I'll say. It's very easy to say and remember. Right. So what we did is we took a lot of formulas really formulas and combinations that both of us felt like had medical benefit with terpenes and um, they're vegan, organic, and, you know, use different cannabinoids. We started out with Delta-8 because this was, when we first started, 
it initially was to fill a hole in the market, our market. We wanted good gummies. There weren't really any gummies that we felt like were special or what we wanted to sell. So we formulated some terpene-infused organic fruit Delta 8 gummies. And the terpenes make all the difference. I mean, your cannabinoids are going to steer the car I mean, the, the cannabinoids are going to run the car. It's like your gas. But the terpenes, as you know, are going to steer where it goes. And it really changes the experience of the product. And it allows people to get more benefit. It improves the efficacy of the product because of the entourage effect. So we were very excited to launch Gummy Girl with the Delta 8 gummies. Um, We had Blue Dream, Raspberry Gelato. We had had some Sativas and some Indicas. Well, then we came out with some CBD gummies, and then we got into the Delta 9 THC gummies, which those are legal as long as they are hemp-derived Delta-9. And you know you've got seed-to-shelf compliance. And Mm -hmm. those two are um, terpene-infused. So our manufacturer tells us that they have never seen another product in the nation that uses as many terpenes as we do. And I think that's why the products are so good. And I know I sound like a sales pitch. I hope I don't. But I love our gummies. I've loved formulating the gummies with Jana. And I love the effects of them. I really feel like they are amazing. You're not selling at all. I mean, you're just think a lot of people don't have the education sometimes as well. So it's good to explain why your products are different or what they're doing. I love that you're talking about terpenes, though, and different cannabinoids. I'm really excited for once legalization hits, seeing some more of the resin-infused and rosin-infused gummies for that very reason. Yeah, we do have some live resin gummies that we formulate And that's a discussion that we should probably take to an either off podcast or on another podcast because that goes deep. We have really been mindful and purposeful with the formulations. And a few of them, I mean, for example, we have a um, 10 milligram Delta 9 with 50 milligrams of CBD and 10 milligrams of CBN with watermelon Skittles terpenes. And for those of us that are like really into the cannabinoids and the terpenes, we all know that is going to get you sleeping. And that Mm -hmm. is really a far superior product than just any gummy, you know, and we have um, some, I don't know. So we, there's a lot of thought and my business partner, Jana, she has second level um, interpening 
And that is, you know, she's been certified by Tricome Institute on terpenes, second mm-hmm. level. And she's also currently finishing her um, cannabis nurse certification. So she brings a lot into the formulations. And then really, I mean, I'm 63 years old and I've been making, you know, I started making edibles when I was 15. So I bring a lot of, you know, experience really in my own formulations in before I got into this business, you know, I did a lot of kitchen medicine type stuff and now I don't need to do that, nor am I interested in doing it because, you know, I've got a business and that mm-hmm. it's safety is my first priority. But I also don't need to do that because really we offer so many products that can truly be used at a therapeutic level, thankfully. And, um, you know, within the hemp industry, it's not just CBD anymore. We have access to lots of good quality products. So we don't need to be making kitchen medicine right now, despite the fact we still don't have cannabis legalization. The hemp market has grown and improved to the point where we do have safe access to good quality products. And I'm grateful to be here for that too. Well, and like you're talking about more diverse products all the time too, the more that research goes in on terpenes and other cannabinoids, the better access you have. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned like, I believe I'm neurodiverse. I have never had a, you know, I've never had anybody diagnose me, but I'd say ADD-ish, maybe like a little touch of Asperger's even, like right right in that zone. And so I medicate every day. And, you know, it's been really amazing. I get to formulate my own medication. (laughs) And, you know, I have a son that likes to medicate daily, an adult son. My husband is a chronic Lyme patient. He medicates daily. My partner, Jana, she has some chronic illnesses. She likes to medicate daily. So not only have we been able to like formulate products to sell, we're actually been been honored and having the ability to formulate our own products that we want to use and then share those. So that's been really, this has been kind of the ride of my lifetime, all the things that I've done that we've talked about and what's kind of brought me up to this point. This is the pinnacle of it. It has been so much fun, so gratifying, and really just an amazing experience again. And plus, we actually get to sell these, you know, products on a legal market, a legal unregulated market, which I am pro-regulation. I think that we need regulation within, you know, nearly every industry. But 
it's been really fun to not be regulated for a minute <laughs> because it's allowed mm-hmm. us to kind yeah, of we, gray mark. Yeah, I mean, we self-regulate. I mean, we have self-regulated from the start. I'm a mom. Jan is a mom. We really have, um, you know, we come from that standpoint. We don't, we wouldn't want somebody selling our under 21s, all sorts of things. We've always done 21 and plus. We always send things out for certificates of analysis. We care if it's clean ourselves. Of course, we want it to be clean for others, you know. But we realize not everybody does that, and we are pro-regulation, but it has been really a lot of freedom to develop and formulate and try things without having to jump through too many hoops, too. Well, and I think that's a good point, too, of where regulation is no guarantee of quality, right? Like, is the law your lowest common denominator or your bare minimum? Or is there a personal standard you should be looking for that's above that? Well, you know, true that. And I guess there's a lot of different markets in every industry. I mean, there's the lowest common denominator market, which is also, and when I say that, I don't mean people, I mean products. But it's like Mm -hmm. the cheapest products, you know, it's kind of like the basic stuff that's not really all that great, but it's cheap and it's good enough for certain times or certain people or, you know, whatever. And then, you know, there's still a need for product testing, though. And then that automatically is going to knock out people that maybe their products don't pass test. So I do welcome, you know, in August, we're going to have the upcoming regulation within the hemp space, which is really very mild and easily obtainable. I mean, it's just going to be more like what is expected of CBD products and proper labeling and having certificates of analysis and that sort of thing. But it has made it easier to kind of, you know, come up with new products and launch new products and just operate within this zone of, you know, the earlier days and that freedom. And it's been fun operating like that. We're okay with having to form fill out a few bit more forms and, you know, pay more taxes if necessary. Well, and that's going to be one of the interesting things I think that's going to happen over these next three to five years is that swap from being in the kind of gray hemp market to what the cannabis markets look like in other states, which are just so wildly different. Right. And I mean, I don't even know what to expect upcoming personally and how things are going to look after 2025. I'm frankly expecting hemp. Let's see. I think that hemp is probably going to die 
as we move into a regulated legal cannabis market. And there, there is a movement right now towards that. And I feel like our time within the hemp space is short. So I really want to sort of savor and enjoy what we've got right now. I, you know, look at it like the earlier days in the hydro space, which despite um, Operation Green Merchant, it was just a really good time. And I'm so grateful I got to have that time in the earlier days before things got really big, before there was a lot of corporate, you know, players. And I've gotten to enjoy that same space within the hemp market. And I do think that hemp's going to stay alive, but I think what we see today is going to die. Oh, absolutely. The industrial uses, I think, are where it's going to go. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and it, and it should die for cannabinoid consumption because it's much more efficient to grow any sort of cannabis plant rather than a cannabis plant that has been bred or picked early only to f- to fulfill the you know THC levels demanded by law Absolutely. Well, and the whole problem of measuring THC as the sole indicator of potency in a plant with 120-some different cannabinoids. Right. I mean, it makes no sense. Even low or zero THC products could be derived from high THC cannabis. Mm -hmm. And Well, for isolates, right. Right. And, you know, it would be a lot more efficient and um, just ecologically friendly for us to all be growing cannabis for cannabinoids, not hemp, because the cannabinoids would typically be more abundant in plants that are not 0.3% THC or under. Absolutely. You're just opening up a whole range and a whole diversity of genetics. Maybe the genetic that produces the minor cannabinoid you need also just happens to occur only with a certain ratio of THC in it. That's not less than 0.3%. Right. And I mean, you're going to be using less water, less inputs. It's more efficient across the board. So, you know, when I say, oh, you know, hemp's good, I, I'm not an expert on this, but my son has been telling me that even in the fiber, do you know about this? He says that, you know, higher THC plants are actually superior for fiber too. It's just like choosing a plant just for its THC level. It's bad breeding, you know? <laughs> oh, it's, it's the race to the bottom. Yeah. So. Um, Not to mention the fact it doesn't necessarily, when you have it in a plant form or in rosin or resin, 
it again doesn't necessarily translate to a more severe experience it might even give you a worse one and not get you i don't want to say as high but still not be as potent with a higher thc level right i mean the beautiful thing about cannabis is there are so many strains as you've said there's so many cannabinoids there's so many different purposes and we can grow plants, you know, for the purpose we want that for. And some people need super high THC. I mean, if you're using cannabis in a medical form, like you're using RSO for cancer or for Lyme disease, your tolerance gets incredibly high during those, you know, treatments. And you're going to need a very high THC product. It's not the same plant you might use if you want to use cannabis for depression. Absolutely. And that's one of the interesting... Absolutely. And that's one of the interesting things that I do enjoy about outdoor is starting to look at the differences between... Is there a difference between the cannabis grown in Kentucky or even an area of Kentucky and then what's grown in California or Maine or mm -hmm. New York? Like, is our, I feel like a lot of the conversation was around how great Kentucky is for growing cannabis. And we have already this understanding of how, you know, our environment and climate impact bourbon. Why would we not think the same thing would happen in the plants and the products that are coming from our cannabis, too? Mm-hmm. Agreed. There's just so much. We haven't even tapped into the plant yet. And frankly, perpetuating the hemp industry for cannabinoids is only because of prohibition. It's really not in the best interest of people or the industry itself. Well, and that's somewhere that I worry about small farms too, because I feel like over the last few years, there's definitely been a subtext to the hemp industry in Kentucky for certain small farms that this is your way into the cannabis market. And I feel like this transition from hemp to cannabis is going to be really rough the smaller you get. Yeah, me too. Why do you think that, Elijah? I think that in other states, there's really been a problem with the price point where, I mean, one, if you're someone growing 10,000 feet, especially outdoors or even indoors, your infrastructure costs alone are just going to like they're going to destroy people. One, if you have to grow indoor and you need a $50,000 square foot greenhouse, mm -hmm. that's just going to cut some people out of the conversation right off the bat. If mm -hmm. they can grow in a field and they've been growing hemp for cannabinoid production already, and like we talked about, they already understand it through that lens. Why not let them continue in that way? Right. I don't understand what the problem is, honestly. It's way more efficient to grow outdoors. And I mean, are you a sun-grown proponent? I am a sun-grown equal opportunist. 
I think that if my cannabis passes the same independent third-party testing that the indoor cannabis does, mm -hmm. and we have those same end product guidelines, I don't feel like I should have my legs cut off beforehand because there's an assumption made about the quality of my product. Working on an outdoor farm for a couple of years where we did full term too, we didn't mm -hmm. even do hoop houses. We planted in February and harvested in October. I definitely feel like that made our product quantifiably different. And there was a great study that came out earlier this year with Johnny Casali of Huckleberry Hill Farms and Tina Gordon of Moonmaid and a few other farms where they actually set up, you know, weather stations, looked at everything, gave everyone the same clone cutting from the same mother and got mm -hmm. quantifiably different cannabinoid profiles. I'm like, there's something going on here that is unique. Also, I'll yeah. say, I'm sorry, I feel like I'm going on, but when you're a small farmer too, I'll also say, and you have, you know, 10,000 square foot, half an acre, even an acre. If you're selling, you know, the dispensary is selling a $45 eighth, even before tax, your cut is only going to be three to $5 as we ended it, as we've seen in competitive markets. So, mm -hmm. I mean, how can you really expect to survive when, I mean, at that price, you're getting what, three to $400 for a pound and you're only getting one harvest a year? Right. Why not allow the farmer to keep the value and only put one markup in for patients? Well, you make some good points. And but this I, is for small farms, too. I'm not advocating this for, again, the Cure Leafs and the Crescos and, you know, your vertically integrated super giant. Right. I think that those are all conversations that really need to be thoughtfully discussed and not just at the time of legalization, because it makes a lot of sense in so many ways to allow the small farmer to continue on and actually continue farming. We have to, you know, if we're really going to support the small farmer, we have to do so in a manner that makes sense and that it makes cannabis as a alternate crop accessible and setting up grow rooms and growing indoors only is not an accessible choice for a lot of farms. Absolutely, especially in rural areas, trying to run electric out or have a generator or anything like that. I mean, I'm not looking to be a millionaire, just kind of like you referenced other farmers in the past. I just want to make a living. Right. Uh-huh. Well, I hope that you can influence some people in Frankfurt as you continue talking to people about this. and. You know, really, I think it's education. I mean, realistically, why only indoor grows? Because they want to make sure that these dangerous plants are not available for potentially like getting into the hands of the wrong people, right? Isn't that the reasoning? Well, That's they say that, and people also talk about that. Again, that there's this 
the indoor is cleaner or, or necessarily more sanitary because it's indoor. Gotcha. Which frustrates so- me. Oh, no, I was just going to say, which frustrates me, because like I said, if I have the same third party testing, I'll also say from working in a dispensary in Illinois, which only did indoor, we had moldy weed all the time. We had product Mm -hmm. recalls for faulty things like it Mm -hmm. is no guarantee, especially at scale. I'm sorry, you got me going now. This is see, this is what I do talk to people in Frankfurt about all the time and like this past session. Once you get me going, I'm like, and then also, but well, is the there thing any other is, project? You're right, Elijah, and then we can move on. But I just want to say, yeah, you're, you're going, but you need to go and we need people to go like this because you're correct. And we've got to level the playing field and level it based on facts and you're absolutely right. You can get dirty weed out of grow rooms, just like you can out of the field. You can get clean weed out of the fields, just like you can out of grow rooms. So moving on. Thank <laughs> yeah, thank you for making me not feel crazy for a moment. Um, oh, and- I'm all about the same thing. I mean, I am a sun-grown proponent. And I'm all for legal, you know, outdoor grow. But yeah, do we have any projects going? Well, we relaunched Canvas and Cannabis last month. So that's been exciting and also very enjoyable. We do um, infuse. Would you like to explain Canvas and Cannabis? Because that's such a great thing when I saw that on one of your all social, I think it was Facebook. I was like, these are the sort of community building things I want dispensaries to do. Well, um, Canvas and Cannabis, we started just because we enjoy paint parties. And a friend of ours is an artist, is an artist and she started doing paint parties during COVID, Kathy Reynolds. And um, I attended a few of those and it was like, well, of course, this is going to be more fun if it's infused. So we started doing some canvas and cannabis in the dispensaries in 21, I think. And frankly, we just ran out of room and we took a pause on it and we just got started last month at our new dispensary that we just opened in J-Town. So Canvas and Cannabis is kind of like a paint and sip, which a lot of people have been to. But instead of having wine, we have um, infused mocktails. And we also have gummies available, or sometimes we'll have jello shots. But, you know, we offer infused edibles and beverages. And then we have a guided painting that we do, and it's just loads of fun. We have some products we call Happy Syrup, and that's a um, fast-acting water-soluble syrup. It's a Delta 9 THC syrup that we mix and make different mocktails with, and we just serve, serve beverages and paint together. It's a blast. And any other sorts of activities you have going on at the dispensary or projects that are coming out? Well, um, let's see. We are 
doing some events, of course, this summer. And our um, next event is this weekend. We'll be at the Buy Local Fair. After that, we'll be at Kentuckiana Pride the next weekend. We are hoping to have Joe Keith in for a book signing. I'm hoping at the end of summer. I mean, summers are busy for everyone, but he's planning on coming for a book signing before too long. And we have a few other things up our sleeves, too. We've been thinking about reintroducing some community events like we did pre-COVID. We used to do like vendor pop-ups in the Highlands where we would have local vendors come in and just Mm kind of come in and vibe, honestly, and have a chance to meet people. So we're looking at doing some more vendor pop-ups and actually open to some good suggestions too, because we'd really like to focus on doing more community events now that we have this new J-Town dispensary opened. It's a lot bigger, so it's a lot more space, you know, to do things. And I love what you said about having Joe Keith out for a book signing, because that's almost like it. I mean, it is, it's like a meet the farmer event also, where he can just say, yeah, buy a book and like, let's talk. But also if you want to support us, just go over to the counter and it's right there. I feel like dispensaries miss out on that all the time, that collaborative chance to not only market you all and market the farmer, but have someone there who can educate people on their products or why they should buy. Right. And, you know, I hope to do a lot more of that this upcoming year with the new dispensary. You know, um, on 420, we opened our dispensary in J-Town on Taylorsville Road. And previously, we had a little quick stop dispensary in J-Town in the front of our offices. But this one is like a thousand square feet and it's beautiful and there's lots of room for people to gather. So that's reawakening our own, you know, our old vision really of cannabis community events. So we'll be working on that. You know, we just launched Myco Girl this year. Do you know about that? Yes, with mushrooms. Would you like to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'd love to. So this was a lot of like, once again, sort of the the end result of a lot of dreaming and, you know, personal at home formulation too. Jana and I have really been into functional mushrooms and use a lot of lion's mane and um, cordyceps and, you know, different mushrooms to help build immune system response. And also, um, especially the lion's mane helps with cognition. And we were combining that regularly with other cannabinoids. And we had the opportunity to put all that together into a gummy. So we came out with four different formulations at the beginning of the year, and we call it Myco Girl. It's um, different gummies that are formulated, honestly, to use with a microdosing protocol. There's so many of us, you know, using microdosing as a way to assist with um, aging, 
cognition, um, depression, and other health concerns. We got into that because um, several years ago, my husband was having neurological Lyme problems and microdosing basically turned him around and saved his life. And that's what took us down the mushroom path initially. But um, we formulated a micro stack, which is a riff on a quite popular um, microdosing stack that uses lion's mane and niacin. And we took the lion's mane and niacin base and we added OG Kush terpenes and 10 milligrams of CBG. And that's used, you know, along with your microdose to increase efficacy. Um, at the Canadelic um, convention that we went to in Miami, there were a lot of scientists. Paul Stamets was there. And um, Paul Stamets presented something about stacking with your microdose. And he, um, provided information about the increase being over 50% of efficacy within the brain, including building new neural pathways when using a stack with your microdosing protocol. So that's been really exciting. Um, OG Kush is a great terpene for cognition, and then CBG, of course, is great for brain health, too. We also developed a Daily Boost, which is another um, mushroom, and this time it has some inputs like ashwagandha, vitamin um, B12, vitamin D3, and also CBG and terpenes. And then we do a um, inspired and a lifted, which is a light THC infused um, mushroom gummy with terpenes and CBD. The inspired has a little bit of Delta 10. It's very uplifting. And then the lifted has CBG added and it's uplifting, but a little bit more grounding. And that's been honestly the project of a lifetime, getting to formulate and work on those and, you know, launch Myco Girl. So that's still pretty recent. We're still kind of getting that out. We did a soft launch in Miami and we're building some momentum with that, getting out there and um, collaborating with like a group called the Plant Medicine Path in Florida. And if someone wanted to get Gummy Girl or any of your other products, you mentioned your J-Town location, but where can they find them? Are you all online? Do you have social? Right. Um, we have a store in Clarksville in the Bolton Tie building right across the Second Street Bridge, a One Love. Then we have a One Love in the Highlands at 1906 Bardstown Road, and then a One Love in J-Town. So three in Metro Louisville. And we also have onelovehempdispensary.com where we sell of our, all of our products online. Man, talking about how things are going to change, the fact that you all can sell online and ship right now. 
Oh, right. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, when we first opened, we could ship vape. And when they passed the Pact Act in 2020, I think it was, maybe, I think it was 2020, maybe 2021. Anyway, we can no longer ship vape at this, at this time unless we get into a private carrier. So things are already starting to change, and I anticipate they may change more as time passes. But Nancy, right now, we offer free shipping. <laughs> definitely a benefit to ordering through you all directly, too, keeping more of the profit with you all and buying through your stores as well, making sure that, you know, it, when you all are the ones making it, you're the ones retaining that value, right? Yeah, we do. And frankly, Gummy Girl and Myco Girl have changed our lives because, you know, we lived off our savings to open this place. And it was a big financial risk. Um, Jana is a single mother. And my husband has been medically disabled since 2014. So we did take a big risk and we lived off our savings to do it. And it's nice to be able to be supported by these products and, you know, try to build a good life, life for our families. Absolutely. And supporting your community while you're at it. hundred percent. You know, it's all about the love, really. Uh, the love of the plant and the love and support of the medical community, the love and support of the cannabis community, um, you know, so hopefully we can spread that around. Nancy, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. And I enjoy talking to you, too, and getting to hear some of these stories. Well, thank you for having us on, for having me on. I'm sorry, Jana couldn't make it. Her father was actually in visiting from out of state today, but I have had a great time and it's really been nice getting to know you too.